1: Saints, we need to be careful. Wherever you're at, wherever you're working, please remember: if you are a Christian and you're representing Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador. You, everywhere you go, we are to live like Christ and be Christ's life and Christ-like. In verse two, he says, "And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren; they're family."
0: In your walk with Jesus. Do you live out every moment as an example for Him? Do you treat everyone in your life with the same respect as your family of faith? In today's message, Pastor Eddie wants you to know that you must never forget your commitment to sharing God's love with the world. Living a double life will always seek to harm you and everyone you love. Commit to the cause of Jesus and be His hands and feet to the world. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 as he begins his message, false teachers and true contentment.
1: chapter 6 of 1st Timothy, and uh, oh, this is the last chapter of the book of 1st Timothy, so we're going to now read, and then we'll study it verse by verse. Let's look at verse 1. We begin reading from verse 1, 1st Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes this, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine May not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, He is proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words for which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, for such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Well, this morning we're going to look at the word of God concerning about three things, three things. Paul is still dealing with the church, how the church ought to function from leadership all the way down to every single person who considers himself to be a part of a church. The first thing we're going to look at is about masters and servants. Masters and servants. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And that's in verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, masters and servants. The second thing we're going to look at in verses 3 to 5 is about false teachers. False teachers. The third thing we're going to look at is about true contentment. That's in verses 6 through 10, 6 through 10, true contentment in verses 6 through 10. Well, we read our text, let us now study our text verse by verse. Let's look at verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Now, the word bond servant in the Greek is doulos, and it means slave. It means slave. And so there are variations of what is a servant, bond servant, a bond slave, but here it speaks about a slave. Then we look at the word master. The master is in the Greek. It means Lord. It doesn't mean Adonai. Christ is Adonai. He's Lord of Lord, but master is Lord. And so slavery was a big part of the of Rome in, uh, during the, the economic structure in the first century. And sometimes we'll think about why is Paul inserting masters and slaves in this book that it has to address, how, you know, the church and how we ought to conduct ourselves. Well, because many who were attending the church of Ephesus uh, were either slaves or slave owners. And so... This was making its way into church. Of course, what happens outside of the church will come in the church, and what happens in the church sometimes goes out of the church. So every single one of us, uh, you know, we work, we employees, employers, you know, and so. But back then, Paul is addressing mass slaves and masters. In fact, uh, back then in Rome, it is estimated that Rome had over fifty to sixty million slaves. Fifty to sixty million slaves, and that's in the city of Rome. Corinth and Ephesus. And so again, the church uh, was filled with believers. Some of them were slaves or slave owners. Now, when we think of slave, it's, it's, we think of the slave Is slavery is different today than it was 100 years ago, than 2,000 years ago. And it varies and it's different. It's not always negative as some people would think. And usually most of the time it is. But when you look at history, you find like Luke Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, who wrote the uh, letter of the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, but he still was considered a slave. So wealthy masters had slaves who were doctors, who were lawyers. They were on the payroll. And so they were servants, but they were still called slaves. As a matter of fact, when you go to Exodus 21, in Exodus 21, if a Hebrew master were to buy a Hebrew slave, he were to have him as a slave for six years. Six years by law. Six years used to have this slave, but after the six years are up, the slave is to be set free. The slave is to be set free. However, if the slave, you know, say, well, you know what? I really don't want to leave. You know, my master has been good to me you know the salary is great the 401k plan is awesome the medical benefits uh, vacation time it's great why would i want to leave i want to stay with my master so after the 6 years he has a choice to be for, to to walk away or to remain at that point after the 6 years up he decides to stay to be a slave of his master, what they would do is they would go to the priest. The priest would then come to the house of the master. So it would be the priest, the master, and the slave. And what they would do is they would take the earlobe of the slave and at the doorpost of his house, they would take an owl and they would just drill, they would just knock a hole right through the doorpost of the house, meaning that he belongs to this house. But he would put an earring in his ear. So, in those days when you walked around and you saw slaves and you saw a slave with an earring, they said, Ah, that's a willing slave. He willingly wanted to stay with his master. That's how you and I are. We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We willingly, we willingly want to be a slave, if you will, and to serve Jesus Christ as our master. Paul, many times when he begins his epistle, he will begin saying, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And that's what is is here. So at that time, just to show you that slavery wasn't always a negative thing, and all masters weren't negative with their slaves. A lot of slaves loved their masters. They didn't want to leave. Hey, things are great here. Where would I want to go? It's good here. Uh, So it just proved that slavery wasn't always something that was negative. However, so we can know how this old text ran almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, how this applies to us. Well, today the slaves are called employees. The masters are called employers, bosses, managers. And so keep that in mind as we study the next two verses. And so it is applicable for us today. So Paul says, verse 1, Let as many bondservants, employees, as are under the yoke, Count their own masters, their boss, employers, with all, all honor. I like what um, John Corson said about this. He says, employees, those who are under the yoke are good eggs. It's a funny joke, by the way. <laughs> when the whistle blows, they're not to scramble. <laughs> when things get hot, they're not to get fried. Just keep that in mind wherever you work. I don't know who's your employer, but we are to be good employees. And the scripture calls us as Christians to honor them, to honor them. Whether they're honorable or not, we're to honor them. We're to respect them. We're to respect them, and, and we're to be the best, the best employees you know, I think at this, you know, throughout the years, you know, I, I, I look at so many applications. Not that I was applying for so many jobs, but there was a time when I was a regional manager for department store called Caldors, and I looked at almost a thousand applications. And you, one of the things you find in an application, you always find, um, they want to know your military background. And usually the reason why they want to know about if you have military backgrounds is because you've been disciplined. You get up and you go to work. That's the kind of people they look for. But you know what? It would be nice if there was a section, are you a Christian or not? Because Christians should be the best employees. The best. The best employees in the company, in the stock room, in the office, and in the field. We don't come come into work late. We don't leave early. We don't complain. We don't cut corners. We don't give our employers a hard time. We get the job done and then some. And then some. Now you know you could probably do more. Now you probably say, "Oh, wait a minute! I'm not gonna, you know, kiss up to the boss." No, it's not about the boss. You have a bigger boss than your boss. His name is Jesus Christ. Okay. Now let's put it for example. How many times we're going on vacation, right? I've been there myself. I'm gonna be away for a week or two. Let me get a lot of this work done so I could go on vacation for a week or two. If I did it, if I'd done double the work. I could do more. If I done double the work so I can be off and there won't be any you know, extra work or mess when I get back, I can do more. That is what a Christian should be at work. I remember when I was being interviewed by the New York City Police Department, I remember the face expression from, there's always a detective just checking the background, and he says, so tell me, and he's with a serious face, you know, he's drilling me, I'm not a police officer, he's just one, he knows more about me than I know about myself, he knows my tax record, everything, all everything, and he says, do you go to work on time? I said, no, he's looking at me, no? I said, no, I go to work early, and it's the truth, I used to go to work early, my boss really loved it, and I just like to go to place early. I hate to be on time. To me, being on time is late. I like to be early. Your traffic is always something. But I kind of benefit from that because when I got there early before everyone else, you know, I would go, th- at first, I would go there with a coffee and, and a bagel. There was a nice bagel shop right across the street, and they made the bagels, H&H bagels. If you're from New York City, you know what I'm talking about. They make it right there. It's right hot off the oven. They'll put whatever is on it. It just melts together. It's great. So I would go there every time and, I would, and then, you know, eventually my boss said, hey, Eddie, I buy you fly. I need a cup and I want some of that bagel. So for, for a long time, for, for several years, I had a free cup of coffee and a bagel. And just by going early, not that I was looking forward to that. it just was my nature's who I was. But this is the reason why we ought to be good employees, because look at the end of verse one. It says here, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. That's why. Now, you may do it because you want to raise. You may do it because you want a position. You may do it because you want to pat on the back. But the primary reason as to why a Christian ought to work and set an example as an employee is so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Let's face it, you probably spend just as much time at work than you do at home, maybe sometimes more. And so they're watching you. They're watching everything you do. You call yourself a Christian. They're going to know you're a Christian. You should, they should know you're a Christian. It shouldn't be that after you worked there for maybe six months or a year or two, and they say to you, I never knew you were a Christian. Your testimony at work should have, should have triggered the question. There's something different about you. You've been with us for a week, but you're such a nice person. You're always happy. We gave you the worst job, the worst position, and you're still smiling. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're watching you. And if you rebel against an unsaved employer, and then they, what's going to happen is they're going to slander God's name and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to say, you one of those Christians, and they talk about Jesus died on the cross for you, and you're saved, and you're going to heaven. Uh, I don't know about that. They blaspheme the Lord's name and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that we live for, we live according to the gospel of Christ. Your life should be a reflection of the gospel. And i not only going to blaspheme God's name, but on top of that, they're not going to believe the gospel. And maybe someone else may preach to them, not you. And they're going to say, wait a minute, you're going to preach about this Jesus? Wait, I got an employee, and let me tell you, he's the worst employee I've had. Or I had this employee just like anybody else. He's just like everybody else. I got to just be on top of them, tell them what to do, and they're not be. They come to work late, cut corners, they punch out early. Saints, we need to be careful. Wherever you're at, wherever you are working, please remember: if you are a Christian and you're representing Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador. Everything you, everywhere you go, we are to live like Christ and be Christ life and Christ like. In verse two, he says, "And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren; they're family." Don't despise. Don't be disrespectful, in other words. Or don't take advantage because they're believers. Don't take advantage. Some people might say, well, okay, I know my boss. Yeah, we're Christians. I got it covered. I got it made here now. You know? Yeah, he, he understands. I, I came in late. He understands. Man, I was at church last night. we were praying real late. Yeah, but you're an hour late. No, that's okay. He understands. I'm in ministry right now. We're Christians. It's taking advantage. We're on the same level. We're equal in the eyes of God. And you start quoting the scripture like in Galatians says, There's neither Greek no no Jew, you know, there's neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. (laughs) Misinterpreting scripture, by the way. Yes, you're equal in the eyes of God. Yes, you're both brothers and sisters. But in the workplace, your employer, who's a Christian, is your boss. You need to submit to that authority. You need to submit. And you need to give all honor. Because everything we do, everything we do is unto the Lord. Now, even though the Apostle Paul does not address masters here, um, there is a passage in Scripture to this, to, to, for those masters who are Christians, by the way. And it's in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. He says to masters, masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that here it is, you also have a master in heaven, (laughs) capital M. You know, if you're a Christian employee, employer, a boss, a supervisor, manager, you too need to set a testimony. Don't abuse your authority. You know, learn how to communicate with people and that's what Paul gives us in, in when he uh, wrote his letter to uh, the church in Colossae for masters verse 2 he says and those who have believing masters let them not despise them because they are brethren but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved again everything we do everything you do now you know coming to church Worshiping God and being fed the word of God. And yeah, that's, we were supposed to do those, those things. But that's just a fraction of what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Most of what you do is out there. You come in here and you grow in the word of God and God shows us in his word how we ought to conduct ourselves, how we ought to live, how we ought to love one another and how we're to be employees and employers outside. Everything we do, we do unto the Lord. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household. And so if you have a master who's a boss, we are to do good. Do good, especially to those who are in the household. So since both employees and employers, Christians, interested in doing good, we should serve one another get together and, and helping one another and encouraging one another, you know? If things are rough at, at work and you, have, and you know a believer is struggling, he says, hey, come alongside them, pray with them, encourage them. And at the end of verse 2, he says, teach and exhort these things, and that's what we do here. Paul is telling Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, Timothy, I know there are some masters and slaves in Ephesus, in the church of Ephesus, there's some bosses, there's some supervisors, and there's some uh, employees there. You tell them how they ought to conduct themselves. You tell them they're to honor their masters. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. And whatever you do, this is the verse I wanted to read before. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So it's not to your boss. Yes, you're obedient to what your boss said, but you do it Partly to the Lord, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Everything you do, whether it's here, ministry here in the church, whether taking care of things at home, at work, everything we do, we do unto the Lord. So that's in verses one and two. It deals with masters and servants. We call them today employees and employers. Now, in verses three to five, Paul is going to draw attention to false teachers. In verse 3, he says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. False teachers would always teach otherwise. Anything and everything outside the scriptures. Even replacing the words of Christ, he says. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the words that we find in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they even have rejected the words of Christ. The reasons we find over and over again, Paul gives us warning after warning. Almost every letter, almost every book in the New Testament gives us warnings about false teachers. Why? Because they're false teachers. People don't get it. They're lazy at picking up their Bible, and so they believe everything that they hear. And I always encourage you, don't believe everything I say. If you follow every word I say, you're following it. You shouldn't be following You should follow Jesus Christ. Take notes. Go to the Facebook page. Go to the YouTube page. Go to, go to the website and, and listen again and see what I'm saying is in Scripture. If not, come and tell me. But don't take the word. Test everything. Paul, John tells us, don't believe everything, but test everything. See if they have the Lord. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You could be told anything and you believe it because it sounds believable. But when you take it and you line it up according to scripture, you find that it is not of the Lord. It's not biblical. We're so lazy. We need to open up the Bible and read it. The reason why they're false teachers is because number one, which is obvious, the enemy is working. He's not done yet. He still has a bag of tricks left. He knows that Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's not going to give up. The only time he'll give up is when the church is gone, and even then, during the seven years of tribulation, while we, the church, who believes in Jesus Christ, would be with him, he still has work to do. But until he gets cast into the lake of fire, he's gonna keep going. And he'll keep going a lot further than the Easter Energizer Bunny. <laughs> he'll keep going. He has one thing in mind is to destroy man.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today here on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie's been taking us through the book of 1 Timothy in this series, which is found in the Pauline Epistles. Within its pages, you learn everything there is to know about becoming a pastor and leading a church during the final years of Paul's life. He knew he wouldn't be around forever, so he penned instructions that would serve future generations of pastors. God used Paul to begin his church and to serve as a role model to those who follow him. If you're looking for help applying this to your life, here's Jessica with an invitation just for you.
2: We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com.
0: Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. For the rest of us, remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more from the book of 1 Timothy. For today, our time has come to an end, but we'll be back again next time and hope you will too. To hear Pastor Eddie share more from this great book of 1 Timothy, here on Running the Race.